Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Happy Horror Time. My name is Matt Emmert. And I'm Tim Murdoch. Today, we are so lucky to chat with someone who is no stranger to the horror genre. He's a writer, producer, director, and actor. Is there anything he can't do? Most recently, he directed a fantastic horror documentary called Unknown Dimension, The Story of Paranormal Activity, which is currently streaming on Paramount+. Plus. He also produced one of our all-time favorite horror films of the last decade, Hell House LLC. Please welcome to the podcast, Joe Bandelli. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bandelli. Yeah. Ruined it. it was such I a did ruin it. Show. Thank you so much. Should we do that again? Because no. I almost feel like, oh no. Because oh, you almost Natural. forgot. You almost forgot to introduce you. It was I did. A, it I was did. a great intro, and then it was I like, and it. that's it. You've done all this, and that's it. Joe, if you've ever oh. listened to this podcast, you know I can't pull it together. Oh. <laughs> Joe, we're very, very grateful to have you on the podcast. Thank you for um, appearing with us. Of course, very happy to be here. I, I love your podcast and I'm, I'm happy that you guys are going to talk some horror with me. Awesome. Yes. Thank you. So, you know, we always like to take it back to the beginning at first rather than jumping right into the movies. And we saw that you grew up in Howell, New Jersey. Which, Hell yeah, way, represent Dirty Jersey. Where? OK, so my parents lived in Mawa, New Jersey for a while. Okay. North okay. Bergen County. Where the hell is Howell? <laughs> Howell is in Monmouth County. Howell is like sandwiched in between Lakewood and Freehold. And it's about 20-ish minutes away from like Manasquan Beach, Belmar Beach. Uh, in essence, it wasn't a beach town, but it was very close to a beach town where I grew up. Oh, so wow. Okay. You could say it is technically the Jersey Shore, but it's not the trashy Jersey Shore that you watch on the TV show. <laughs> not that the point. situation? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that beach is about 15 minutes south, but it's... Yeah, I mean, that whole show is a bunch of New Yorkers who say they're from New Jersey. It's not really New Jersey. So. Oh, I love it. I uh, <laughs> I only watched a few episodes of that because, uh, you know, I, it's really hard to stomach them. <laughs> I guess. I There's I something mean, about reality shows and things like that that make people just want to come back for more of their stupidity. Of so. course. Well, more the funny thing people. is, though, I'm sure they like, you know, I'm sure they've become caricatures of themselves. Like, who knows what they're even really like versus the show. But regardless of that, we wanted to know more about when did your love for horror begin? And growing up, were there any like specific movies or directors that had an impact on you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I have a couple little like snippets of things like, first off, the first like cartoon that ever really stuck out with me and I remember and I loved it was um, Walt Disney's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow about the Headless Horseman. 
So that was like one of the first cartoons that my mom showed me. We watched it every Halloween and I loved everything about that. I, before I moved out to California, I used to go to Sleepy Hollow every year and kind of do all their little like fun Halloween things. Um, this past year, I took my fiance there for the first time. So love Headless Horseman, love that like mythology and that um, folklore tale type thing. Um, when I was a teenager, I'm going to backtrack because like, when I was a teenager, I read Agatha Christie's and then there were none. And that book kind of blew open storytelling for me. I was like, oh shit, like this is like a mystery. Like we don't know who killed people. And then you find out that that's like the original mystery, that that's what every like scream is based off of, uh, clue, like everything is based off of that. And so those are kind of the two things that really stuck with me the most, but for films in general, um, I, my mom is a single mother. And when we were growing up, my mom was going, uh, putting herself through college and she had a boyfriend who she did break up with after I tell you the story. So my mom's not a bad person, oh, but no, no. <laughs> this guy, this, this guy was in the military. He's an army guy. And he, um, he kind of had this feeling of like, boys should be raised into men, like strong men, like kind of that old school mentality. So my brother was about two and a half, three years older than me. And, um, I just remember little things that he would do to us and make us do because we had to be tough. And I remember him making us watch Nightmare on Elm Street when we were like, I was, I think I was like four or five and my brother was like seven or eight. It was terrifying. Like it absolutely scared the shit out of us. Like I think my brother used to have nightmares about it. It was just really, really scary. But something about that movie and something about those things kind of kept tracking in like, as I grew up, I think that was the first one. And then coincidentally, scream in the 90s was the one that really like we had fun with my brother and I used to dress up as Ghostface and hide in each other's closets like I think of one Christmas he put a, a we would record each other Christmas morning and he put it in my room and hid in the closet so that when I woke up I saw the camera and I went to my closet and he jumped out and scared the shit out of me so oh my god I love it <laughs> you, you could say you could say Wes Craven is probably like my the, most, the biggest influence in terms of a filmmaker but yeah I mean I I I love Dumb and Dumber had an impact on me. All these movies, and I kind of had this horror comedy blend that has stuck with me um, throughout my career. And I try to bring comedy into it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, really my kind of bread and butter into films was slashers. Didn't really go down the supernatural very far, but it was slashers. And then I met a writing and producing partner in New York and his name's Matthew Wise. And we started a company called Mary Lou's Boys together. Um, because both of our moms are named Mary Lou. So that's uh, funny because Mary Tim, Lou Tim just dressed up as Mary Lou from prom night two for Halloween. So that was the I mean, first thing I thought of. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then zombies became a big thing. I did a zombie series and I love zombies and supernatural became one of those things. And same thing with like found footage. I think I was, every time I became exposed to something, I just kind of immersed myself in it. And then you know, you get you get a, a sleeve of horror villains, and then it's kind of like you're a horror. Wait, wait, guy. can you show? Sorry, just for the listeners, um, Joe has. Oh a, wow! Oh my God, a, his whole right arm is covered. It's Michael in Myers. Tattoos. There's a uh, Leatherface, Michael Myers. Wait, I, Freddy. Oh, oh my God. Okay, we're oh, taking Angie. Okay, we're taking a screenshot of oh, that. Oh, there's Ghostface. Ghost oh my God. I now oh, and Pinhead. Oh my god. That's I, an amazing arm. You are can we be friends in real life, please? We can. I, I can't we believe can. I, I guess I'm a little amazed because so we on the podcast, we usually we we've talked to so many actors and actresses from horror movies. And a lot of them, when you ask them about growing up, like if any horror impacted them and it's no no shade on them. But a lot of them really didn't love horror. They yeah, they're like did it for a job. The exorcist so scared me getting to talk to someone <laughs> yeah. who is truly immersed in and loves it, which is kind of more of our experience. 
yeah. is very different than like, no, I didn't, horror really wasn't on my radar, but yeah. now you know, I was in a movie. You know, you know what's really interesting is like, I horror definitely stuck with me more than any genre, but I'm one of those people that like, like I grew up on Schwarzenegger and Stallone and Van Damme movies. I grew up on, you know, there's something about Mary and, and uh, what's it called? Dumb and Dumber and the Fairly Brothers stuff. I grew up watching Gene Wilder and like Richard Pryor. So like when people talk about like, oh, this genre, I'm like, yes, that's my genre. And then they talk about action. I'm like, kind of didn't like action too. Like I kind of liked everything. And to fast forward into life, like I, uh, I didn't even go to college for film. I didn't go to film school. I didn't do any of that stuff, but I was always in like sketch comedy groups. I was always doing like performances and I went to college. I wanted to work in law enforcement. I wanted to work for the government. Yeah, so. I was going to ask you, like, you went to the College of New Jersey and earned a degree in criminal justice? Yeah. I. Yeah, um, what I, What changed? Yeah, like, at what <laughs> point do you like Hollywood, please? So the, only, the two figureheads for me, the two male figureheads in my life really were my grandfather and my brother. And my grandfather was in the military. He always was kind of like the more reserved one in the family. So I kind of was stuck with him um, in terms of, like, I kind of had a lot of the similar traits that he had. And I always had this calling of like, serve your country, serve your country. And fuck, man, I'm glad I never went down that road. That's a lot of pressure for a young person. (laughs) Especially with all the shit that's happening in this world with like the whole far left, far right battle of everything. Like, so I'm glad I didn't go down that path. Sorry to make political, but oh, um, no, 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 it's no. <laughs> Well, um, you know, Matt and I love Hell House LLC. It was the first movie in a long time that I, I, I had to have the, a nightlight on that night. Watch, because I was scared. Well, I think, and also it's the first movie in a long time that after we saw it, like it really, because we watch horror movies all the time, you know what I mean? Yep. And so very few stick with us afterwards because we've seen so much and that one really, really did. Yeah, well, because, how did how did you get involved in Hell House LLC? Because you were a producer on the film. Correct, I'm the only producer. Oh, you were the film. producer. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah, the, the producer. Uh, <laughs> the producer. Yeah, but listen, um, I, I had, I had a, you know, everything in about this business and probably every other business is who you know. And I worked after film school, I was working on films. I was writing, I was getting kind of ready and I was gearing up to direct my first feature, which is, it used to be called seclusion. Now it's called cabin fear. Um, I was gearing up to make that in 2014. And in 2013, I had a friend that I worked with who was like, Hey, do you know anyone that would produce a horror movie? And I was like, yeah, dickhead me. Like I do that. (laughs) And he goes, and he goes, oh, well, I know you're busy. You're, you're prepping your film. You have a full-time job. You're working for this company live stream and live production. He's like, would you have the time? And I was like, hundred percent. And that guy actually was Adam Schneider who plays Mac in Hell House. Oh, so he okay. introduced me to Steve because him and Steve had known each other. Steve and Cognetti had known each other for a while. And when Steve and I met, it's sort of like Steve's a very creative guy, but Steve's not a, a technical guy. So a lot of stuff he was like, I want to do this. I don't know how to do this. I want to do this. He had the script mostly done. He already found the location, which is the Waldorf Estate of Fear in Pennsylvania, in Lehigh, in Pennsylvania. Um, he already had these things. So he brought me in to like kind of give him script notes, uh, bring the crew together and sort of execute the shoot, um, which was a 10 day shoot. And uh, yes, yeah, so 10 days. Was, yeah. 10 day. That's shoot. amazing. 
but yeah, so that year, that year was a big year for me because that was the first year that I produced a feature and that was the first year that I directed a feature. And um, you're also in it, right? Like, where yeah. are you in it? Well, yeah, so, yeah, they'd say, and you, it's funny because on IMDb, it says uncredited. And yeah, so, so <laughs> that can mean so many things. So who are you and where can we see you in the hell? Well, Steve, Steve has a big thing, which I appreciate. I, I hate when people put their names over things a hundred times, like written by, and then another credit for directed by, and then another credit for produced by, and then another credit for acted. So he he didn't want to credit anyone who weren't always credited as something else. So which makes sense. I get it. Um, but he it came out of necessity. A lot of the stuff on the first film were shit. We need someone to do this shit. We need someone to do this. And when we were doing the documentarian, um, Diane, I think it's Diane Graves, the one who was literally shooting everything, the one who was interviewing all the people, he wanted her to have a team, which was an editor who was Mitchell, who wound up being the main character in the second one, and then Jonathan, who was the camera guy. So I played Jonathan. So you could you only see me in two moments. You see me, you see my arm, a less tattooed version of my arm, uh. in, and you hear my voice in the scene when Sarah leaves um, to go rest, and then we're arguing over what, you know, should we... Should we I know go exactly to what you're talking about. Like uh, we've seen uh, the original house. We've seen all of them, but we've seen the original multiple times because I had to show like everyone I knew. So I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. So. And, and the, the thing that everyone always tells me is like, you're the voice of reason. Like, yeah, I, I just remember being him. like, I'm just going to play this like I would be in a fucking environment where a bunch of people died and someone's trying to get me to go to that house. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, go for it. So. It's so good. Like it just. It's oh no! So and I remember that. Now I'm remembering because again, yeah, because you are. Aren't you trying to get the the woman who then goes back to the house at the end? You're trying to get her not to go. Correct. Right? Correct. Okay, then yeah. yes, I yeah, remember yeah. exactly. I'm the scared cameraman trying to get her to leave. Yes, of course season. I do remember. Yes, yes. And and again, out of necessity, like we had a great cinematographer on it, um, Brian Harkins, I think. Um, I might be pronouncing his last name, but he's he was great to work with. But the the reason why I played that role is because a lot of this stuff with a lot of how things were shot, Steve wanted to have someone who knew how to use a camera to shoot that final sequence because there were so many things and there were a lot of like corners and small alleyways. So it wasn't something where we could have Brian shooting and me standing behind Brian. Mm -hmm. So he wanted me to do it because I knew how to use a camera and I knew how to like, in essence, I was a filmmaker. So he wanted me to be in that sequence and that's sort of how I fell into it. And then I'm not sure if you guys noticed, you probably did because you looked at my credits, but the running theme with Steve and I is I play a cameraman in every one of the Hell House movies and I get yeah, killed. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's it, but I mean, but hey, you know, use what you know. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. also that that's, you know, and I promise we're going to shift to the Paranormal Activity documentary, the majority of the you know, wherever you want. Of, but we had to talk about this just because we love this movie so much. But I, well, there, I have a few specific questions about different parts of Hell House LLC, but overall, because you did mention how, you know, found footage horror is a subgenre within the horror genre. And, you know, it can't be a coincidence that you've worked on two, you know, big found footage related series. What do you think attracts you to found footage horror? Or do you, was there something that attracted you to it or was it something you just fell into? Yeah, well, so when I I saw the Blair Witch Project when it came out, but I didn't love it. Like it's, I think it's so creative, it's genius. But like I didn't, it kind of made me sick when I saw it in theaters. Like it didn't really work for me. And then Paranormal Activity was the other one that came out that like blew my mind because they did what I think Nightmare on Elm Street did for slashers was take something that's in the woods or on a random place of someone that you're related to, and they brought it to your home that everyone has to deal with. So I prior to working on the Hell House series, I'd seen like VHS 
maybe like a couple other ones, but I hadn't seen a ton of found footage movies and I never really wanted to work in it. But this is why working with Steve is so great because Steve tapped into a genre that general audience wise, the only movies that people in the public really know are Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity. Like horror fans know of Grave Encounters, know of VHS, know of Taking a Deborah Logan. We know of all these other films because we're horror fans, but the regular audience doesn't know this stuff. So I think Steve tapped into a genre that was kind of like, it eventually got overpopulated, but it was untapped at the time. And like, if you pull off a good found footage film, you're on lists every year for Halloween, for which is what we luckily got on. Is like every year we're in a top 10 list of like horror movies. We're in a top five list for found footage movies. But like if we did a slasher, which is what I wound up directing that year, the movie was okay. It wasn't very good. I made a lot of mistakes, but you're holding yourself up to like hundreds of movies and you're just going to fall between the cracks and like maybe people will see it, maybe people won't. So I think that's what kind of drew me to it. And then once he hired me as the producer on it. I immersed myself in it because I wanted to make sure, you know, my biggest thing with found footage is it's an easier genre to shoot as a newer filmmaker because it's cheap. You don't need to spend time. You don't need to spend time going crazy on lighting scenes, on rehearsing scenes, because it's very forgiving because the actors are walking through it. So it's supposed to look bad. It's so scary to me because I'm always like, it's real. Yeah. So, but, but that was the reason why, like, and that was like found footage for me was it's easier to do. It's cheaper to do, but then the more you wind up doing it and the more there are films, I think the hardest thing about found footage is justifying where the camera is. Like that's always the hardest thing. Like I I can tell you nine out of 10 found footage movies. There's a part in every one where you're like, why the fuck are you recording right now? Like, why, why are you doing this? Like, this makes no sense. Like drop the camera and get the hell out of there. So I think that's the hardest part. But again, there's a lot of other things that make it cheaper and easier for younger filmmakers to get their start. in. No, that's very true. And and I have to ask about, so I think one of the most iconic parts of Hell Else LLC is the clown. Obviously yes. that clown is fucking terrifying. <laughs> like it really, really is. And I know I, or I read that even though it's supposed to be a mannequin, obviously I read that actual actors wore the clown mask and the suit. So I've got two questions about the clown for you. Number sure. one, did you ever get to wear the clown suit? And number two, was that a costume that you guys just purchased or did you create that mask just for this movie? Sure, um, I'll answer. Can I answer in reverse order? Of course. <laughs> okay, <laughs> clown costume we bought, Steve bought a specific clown mask that he had made for Hell House. Um, the clown was never supposed to be like the biggest thing of the movie. It was just supposed to be a scare sequence in the movie. It took on a life of its own after that movie. And we were like, yeah, <laughs> put it in every single movie. Um, we bought the clown costume is a generic clown costume that we bought the mask. We got the mask that Steve ordered and we all collectively were like, this mask sucks. Like we, we can't use this mask. And so it was our, a William Shatner mask. Yeah, <laughs> it was a William Shatner mask. So, but, but speaking of that, that's kind of what we did. We had Angie Moyer, who owns the Waldorf, who was our production designer. She was like, why don't I just grab a mask of like one of these things that we do? So she grabbed a mask that she had that she was going to use in her haunt because she has a haunted house attraction every year there. She grabbed this mask. And then we asked our um, our makeup and special effects designer, Lexanne Rosser, to play with it and kind of make changes to it. So she made changes to it. Steve made changes to it. Angie made changes to it. And we all kind of got to what you see on screen. Um, which became this terrifying clown mask. Oh. But um, but yeah, and then to the who wore it. In the first movie, three people wore the clown costume. Um, the actors, Danny Bellini, who played Alex, and the actor, um, 
uh, actually we played Tony. Why, why is his name skipping me? But um, the two of them played it for majority of the scenes, especially when they weren't in the scenes and the other one was. And then um, the we had a PA who stepped into it for one scene. And I think that stuff got cut out. So I think in the actual film, it's just the two of them. Um, in the second movie, I played the clown. And then in the third movie, we had another production assistant who played the clown for the whole movie, Johnny Missler. Oh wow. Uh, that, I, I was one, I just had a feeling when you were saying about the multiple hats that you wore on this production, I was like, I wonder if he got to yeah. wear the clown outfit. Yeah. yeah, but that's like the thing when you're doing these movies, like when you think of studio movies and how they get made, like the producers are like watching from afar, show up every now and then, give a note and then leave. Like, that's not what it's like when you're making found footage movies. Like, you're immersed in these things. So it's like, you're sitting there, something's not working right. It's like, fuck it, I'll just go do it. Like, we don't have time to waste. Like, I'll put the costume on, I'll move my head, I'll turn my arm. Like, and then that's the thing. And that's that's my favorite part about indie filmmaking is you have a lot more people that are willing to get their hands dirty than you do in, like, the studio system. I was going <laughs> to ask you, is there going to be a fourth Hell House? So Steve and I actually are in the process of developing a prequel series, which is called The Abaddon Tapes. Um, we, we've talked with Shudder a bunch. We're trying to get them to pick it up because all the films are on Shudder's platform. Um, we haven't really gotten where we wanted to just yet, but that series would actually be a narrative series. It's a six part limited series and there would be found footage elements in each one of those series. But like the budgets for Hell House 1, 2, and 3 were 60,000, 50,000, and 80,000. The series would not be that. The series would be much more production value, much bigger. And the goal with the series is like we're open to doing a fourth movie but at this point we don't really want to continue the story in the future we want to go back and tell like andrew tully's story we want to tell how this character of the clown became the clown like we have a lot of breadcrumbs that are left throughout the three movies that are like how did this person get to there like what happened to mitchell like things like that that we want to answer those questions and we feel People like love that. Like that. yeah and, yeah. and i've got to say and i know we're spending so much time on this but isn't it cool that you like when you made the first movie can you imagine if you knew what you knew now and that like like for instance like you said the clown you had no idea that the clown was become so iconic and now literally you may have a series that has an episode related yeah. to the clown like isn't that incredible like when it, i mean Listen, to Steve's credit, Steve is, you know, his favorite movie is The Exorcist. I remember we were uh, we were standing on set and he told everyone, like, before we started, Exorcist is his favorite movie. Blair Witch was, like, the movie that changed found footage. And our goal is to do that. And I remember being, like, afterwards, being like, we're not going to, that's not going to happen. Like, <laughs> we're not going to do that. And, and you know, to his credit, he was the one that was like, this is going to be that, this is going to be that, this is going to be that. But I even remember, like, even when we had the cut of it, I think the cast was phenomenal. And I think the cast is why the movie is so good because they were close behind camera, in front of camera, and you could see it on screen. But even when I saw the finished product, I was like, this is good, but I didn't think it was going to be what it became. Like people, like it, it kind of took on a life of its own and people love it. And people, you know, there are things that we did in that film that people are like, this is so genius and so amazing. And we're like, thank you. And there are other things people are like, this is so genius, so amazing. We were like, we got lucky. <laughs> like, yeah. this, like that's what happens when you do films like this is like some things work out awful and some things work out amazing. And luckily we just had the fortune of having a lot of really good things go the right way. Plus having a right, a good crew, a great cast. Um, and a good leader on the team. So I think it all worked out really well. No, that that's awesome. And again, for listeners, if you haven't seen Hell House LLC or the two sequels, get on it. And it, it's yeah. definitely <laughs> worth it. They're they're all on shutter. You you said they're all on shutter. I know that we I was on Prime too. They're on Prime. Okay, because I thought I was going to say, yeah, I, I think like, when we watched it, it on Prime. Uh, um, yeah, so please check those out. But shifting gears yeah. to um, the recent documentary, Unknown Dimension, the story of paranormal activity. 
just love to ask, like, what led you to wanting to make a documentary of this horror series specifically? Is it because you had just loved it so much? It was. If, is it because you had just been working on Hell House LLC or what yeah. led to that? Pretty much there were four main people that got this thing off the ground and then a fifth one that kind of brought the whole thing together. Anthony Massey from Massey Media, he's the one who did the original 25 years um, Halloween uh, making. That's how you probably know him, right? And then he did, his name was Jason. He did uh, Still Screaming. He did documentaries on a lot of big horror franchises. And then the other producer was Rachel Belofsky, who she's the founder of the Scream Fest uh, Film Festival. And Rachel's also the person who found, was the first person to accept paranormal activity into her festival when it was getting rejected by everywhere else. So the two of them were the lead producers on it. Uh, Our co-producer was Nate Reagan, uh, who's worked with Anthony since Scream. And he's kind of one of those, he's kind of one of those huge fans that like, like, they just made the new Scream 5 movie and they called Nate to ask him how to make the ghost face costume and how to do certain things because he was involved in a lot of that process back in the day, just from becoming a fan and then getting involved with the Scream franchise. So Nate is kind of this huge horror fan that like he can speak from a fan's perspective. It's always good having his perspective. So it was them three and me. And then eventually brought on Nick Landa, our editor, who was a phenomenal editor, the easiest editor I've ever worked with in my life. But, um, but what happened was Nate has, uh, I think his son's 11 now. But his son was eight years old, I believe, at the time. Or it could be wrong. It could be the other way. It could be 11 and 14. But his son, Channing, um, he takes him to all these horror sites. Like, he took him to My Bloody Valentine, where they shot them. And he shows him horror movies. And his son has an appreciation for them. So he asks all the time, like, how did they do that, Daddy? How did they do this? So he will show them bonus features behind the scenes. So they watched a few Paranormal Activity movies. And he started asking how they did certain things, like how they do the footprints. How did Katie get dragged out of bed? And Nate was like... I actually don't know. And like started looking up and he's like, no one's ever done behind the scenes. No one's ever done bonus features. Like it's always supposed to be like, this is real. So no one's going to put that stuff out there. Whereas if like you look at saw or the conjuring or things like that, there's so much behind the scenes. There's so much stuff there. So he called Anthony and told Anthony like, Hey, I, I, you know, I know you might've hung up the the documentary stuff and I'm moving more towards narrative, but you should consider this because I think there'd be a market for it. So Anthony was like, well, let me call Rachel because Rachel knows Oren, Rachel knows Katie, Rachel knows Mika. She's like, let me, let me talk to her. And then they got involved and then they started interviewing directors. And I think what Anthony said is every person that he was interviewing was kind of like, they're too big for this. They don't, they don't care enough. It's not, they don't care, but it's like, oh, this found footage movie, whatever. And I was working on Hell House three at the time. And Anthony and I were friends. We, We got connected from a mutual friend and I just moved out to California and Anthony said, Hey, if you're working and need extra help, you should give my, uh, my buddy Nate a call. He'd be, he'd love to come out and work on the set or whatever. So I was like, yeah, of course. So I called Nate, asked him to come out. He helped on set. He was great. in kind of like that final sequence when everyone's running out of the house and, you know, it was like half working with him, half showing him all the cool shit that we did on hell house. And when he was done, he's like, Hey, he's like, you like paranormal activity, don't you? And I was like, I love paranormal activity. He goes, would you ever consider directing the documentary that we're trying to make? And I was like, Yes. Like, of course. And so he, he was like, let me talk to Anthony about it. And then like literally a day later, Anthony emailed me and he was like, first off, thank you for bringing Nate on set. But second, I'm so sorry. I've been talking to you about this documentary for the last six months. Like I had no idea that you want, you would be interested in doing a documentary. Would you want to talk with Rachel and I? And I was like, yes, absolutely. And I think by the time I met with them, when I got back to the West coast, as we shot in Pennsylvania for the movie, I had a 30 page outline with a complete vision of how I wanted to tell the story, 
who I wanted for the interviews and kind of like the entire nuts and bolts of everything that I wanted to do. And I think it's just, I think they, they were just like blown away that someone cared this much. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it's funny because this leads into the next question I had, and this is, um, this is probably going to be a dumb question. I may be answering it myself, but what, because you're credited obviously as not only the director, but the writer. And when you're, when you say writing a documentary, since a documentary obviously is mostly interviews, does that writing component component include just like crafting, I guess the whole narrative of it, like how it's going like what, yeah. Like like what does writing a documentary mean? Sure. So it wasn't like you had like a 120 page script or something like that. It was more, it was more like, so for starters, I built on that outline. So the final outline was like 45 pages, but ultimately it was certain things like, I want this movie to feel like that. Uh, like writing this out, like I want this movie to feel like people are watching a found footage movie. So it should open the same way these do. We should open in the streets. We should ask people what scares them. We should go through this whole entire link of random things that scare them, but then make sure that we're getting all the things that turn towards supernatural unknown things that are in your house and then lead to Orin explaining what scares him. And that'll open up the door. I like wrote a whole thing on found footage about the history of it, about what's the real first found footage movie, which was Cannibal Holocaust that had it in there. But what's the first one that had a full movie being it, which was um, uh, UFO abduction and just kind of like all those different things. And I never knew we were going to be able to get all of these people involved. Um, So I kind of crafted the where you're going, how everything is looking, how we open each scene, how the nights are like the films and all that kind of stuff and crafted the beginning, middle and end. And that was about a 45 page outline. And then I wrote every single question that I asked every single person. Oh, so, wow. yeah. And, and like I had feedback from the producers and, and asked them if they, I, you know, we, we were good collaboration. I was like, this is what I want to ask any thoughts, any whatever. And then of course, like, like I sat with Orin for four and a half hours. Like you can't use four and a half hours in the documentary. The movie's 95 minutes long. Did he, did he ask you to 80. move into his house for the documentary? <laughs> <laughs> that, sorry, that's just a joke for listeners because we learned in the yes. documentary that in the first movie, he literally had Katie and Mika, the two lead actors, move into his house where he filmed the first I mean, movie. It, it only took seven days, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I was lucky enough to meet you at the premiere. I don't want to brag. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, the premiere of what? You not, uh, no, the, I'm sorry. Paranormal <laughs> Activity, uh, next of kin. You're like yep. the premiere of Halloween Kills. <laughs> Halloween Kills. Um, no, but um, you told me that it took uh, two years from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was like a little. So they kind of came up with everything around January or February of 2019. They brought me in in May of 2019, and then we sat down with Katie, Mika, and Orin because that was the thing. Like. We didn't have we didn't have like a marketing or distribution plan. We didn't like we reached out to Paramount, asked if they were interested, and they didn't really get a lot of uh, you know much back from them at that point. So we were like, Rachel, call Oren and see what he can do. And Oren was he lives in New Zealand, and he was visiting. And he was doing like a six week trip with his family back to California in the United States. So he was in San Diego. Um, and we were like, can we come down to the house and like, talk to you about it? And he's like, we can't go in. I sold the house. The guy doesn't really like to like do that kind of stuff. And we're like, okay. So we went down, we shot all the stuff outside his house. I sort of did like a five minute interview outside the house with him. We did some B roll of the house. And then we went back to LA and he said he was going to be in LA in like a few weeks. So Anthony started calling all the owners of the houses. He got in touch with the owner of the second house. Uh, from Paranormal Activity 2, they were like, yeah, come do this. Like, that's great. You can have the house for the day. So we went, it was Anthony, Rachel, me, um, Nate, and then we brought on uh, Tom Sullivan, the camera operator, um, cinematographer, di- live director to come work with us and help out. And 
we got Oren to come and we uh, got Katie and Mika to come and we did all of their interviews. And like I said, it was like an eight or nine hour day of interviews. And we got so like, honestly, we could have told a story just with the three of them. I figured it was fascinating. My favorite was the beginning. I have to ask, I have to ask like revealing question. Number one, when someone like the owner of the paranormal activity two house says you can come here, do they ask you to pay them? Be honest. So some people did. I don't remember if we paid her. We might have paid her a little bit, but like she has a daughter who was like 16, who's, who's trying to be an actor. She has a son who was like 14 or 15. So they're both around the same age. And like, they were fascinated by it. So we were kind of walking through them, like explaining how things. So we interviewed them as well. And oh, we were, okay. if, if we ever got to do a bonus features thing, we were going to do a like interview with all the people who own the houses and how it changed their lives. Like every Halloween people come up to their house and shoot yeah. stuff. And yeah. so we were going to do that too. Um, we wound up not doing it because um, what happened was we did that. Then in August, we said it, we booked a studio for a week. And we just started, Nate just started reaching out to everyone. And Nate's one of those people, he's super fearless. He's like, he, we're like, oh man, how are we going to get in touch with Jason Blum? He's like, I'm just going to email his, uh, his agent. I'm going to email his manager. I'm going to email everyone so someone responds to me. And so the first group of people that were like, we didn't even have to chase were the entire cast for the marked ones. Like Christopher Landon's entire cast and Christopher Landon were like the first people to be like, fuck yeah, I'll do this. Oh, that's so awesome. we got them. Then we got like Steven Schneider. We got a couple horror critics. We got um, the Vicious Brothers um, to talk to found footage. We got a, pu- a bunch of different people and we rounded out a good group of like, I'd say about 80%, 70% of who we wanted. And then it was like, every time we got someone, we would get more people. And it'd be like, oh, Orin and Katie and Mika did this. And then we got Chris Landon. And we're like, Chris Landon did this. And then we got other people. But the issue that we had was when you make anything, probably doesn't happen on podcasts, but in films, when you make anything, films take a really long time to make. So you go through really good moments and really shitty moments. And I think what we were finding from a lot of these people where they were like, who the hell are you guys? And what are you trying to do? So they were a little like guarded because, you know, this movie, like they made, they spit these movies out for six or seven straight years. And there were a lot of tough times. There were a lot of difficult things that went on during set. Like some people did not have great, as great of experience as other people. So a lot of them were like, they thought we were going to like mudsling and they thought we were doing like a piece that was going to like tear them apart and make them look bad. So there was a lot of like coaxing them, talking to different people, having conversations with them. And then once the interview started going, it was like people like, oh, you're just really trying to highlight this franchise and what it did for horror and what yeah, it did. For- everyone came across like a million bucks. Like everyone, yeah. like how much they love it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think for podcast interviews, other than sometimes we ask, you know, slightly more provocative questions, but we never. Uh, we only f- we try to focus on all of the positive and so yeah. many people we've spoken to like some of these movies for 34 I mean, years have been, like have, have have really set their career in motion so they love talking about it or they're used to talking about it yeah you know but the best is when we interview someone who maybe hasn't talked about it in a while and and like we have to remind them of things and then we feel well, extra cool yeah i mean because these movies are like 30 40 years old yeah. but you know if yeah. people want to get gossipy i'm all ears. yeah exactly well <laughs> speaking of god I, I again one more gossipy question is orin pelly set for life i mean like yeah. no, because, totally. because, i think if you look him up online i think his net worth is like 50 million dollars oh like my he, God. i just he, when you said he moved to new zealand that was my first quote because it's like I, I the story of how paranormal activity the first one was made is like literally every i feel like filmmaker's dream you know that you can 100 because yeah. the budget i think was fifteen thousand. Gross yep. is 193 worldwide, spawns, you know, now six sequels and, and you know, so much fandom. 
And, you know, he has two actors come in. I think I think what I loved about the documentary is when Katie and Mika were saying like their audition was just like improv in like a North Hollywood. Well, first up, that that alone, <laughs> auditioning in North Hollywood, that'd yeah. be my first scare. What's wrong with North Hollywood? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. not moving into his house to shoot, but North Hollywood. North absolutely Hollywood. Not. Listen, no. I'm from West Hollywood. Okay. I'm snotty like I that. live in the Valley, so I have no problem with North Hollywood. But um, but uh, um, one of the things, um, oh, we well, oh, didn't yeah. want to ask like if they Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think I asked you like, the first thing I asked you was um, when I met you was like, did you get Steven Spielberg? Because he changed the ending because the original, she just gets shot. And then, yeah, so, so like, well, well, yeah, I guess there's kind of two questions yeah. in that. Number one, what did you think of the original ending personally versus what they changed it to? And then two, we just, did you ever even try to reach out to Steven Spielberg and say like- Oh, totally. So, so yeah, so we did try to reach out to Steven Spielberg. We were actually talking with his people for a very long time. Because what happened was August is when we did that long week and got most of the people. Then over the course of um, September and October was when we got- a lot of the big players like we got Jason Blum and Jason Blum is so fucking cool. He was so awesome. Like when we were talking with his team, they were like, we have to do hair and makeup for him. We have to do all this stuff. And we're like, okay, we'll pay for all those things. And then we showed up and he was like, fuck hair and makeup. He's like, just do it now. He's like, I don't, I don't. And his like assistant's like, but you need oh, this. He's like, you're no, like we already paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was super cool. He wanted to tell us everything. He was so blunt and so forthcoming. And I he could was, tell. Oh, we, we, yeah. I, we met him at a convention. I mean, we've never gotten to interview him. That would be a dream. But like, we just saw him. It was the Halloween uh, 40th year convention. And I just like walked up and I just said like, oh, I can't wait for the new Halloween movies like yeah it's gonna be fucking cool like that's yeah, really he, yeah he i mean he seems like he seems like that that guy that's like super down to make movies super fun and like if you like him and you work with him he will continue to work with you and he will continue to like do things for you and so like my favorite thing about him was we had a couple people that we were having trouble getting in touch with like adam goodman we couldn't figure out how to get in touch with him because he doesn't run paramount anymore he's doing his own thing um a couple of the other actors who we were kind of dying on like they would respond and we wouldn't hear from them for weeks. He was just like, who haven't you got? And we were like, well, we haven't gotten Adam Goodman. We haven't gotten X, Y, and Z. And he'd be like, give me a second. And then he's like, give me your number. I'll text you this. And then he just exchanged numbers with Anthony and I. And like the next day, like Adam Goodman's people and like three other people were like, hey, they reached out to us. I'm like, hey, we'll do this interview. And it he was were, like- He was the former yeah. president, right? Of Paramount? Yes, correct. Yeah, that, correct. That so, was fascinating. So what you're saying is that it's good to know people in high places. Correct, <laughs> correct. <laughs> But so he he opened the door and then and like the like things just kind of started falling in place. But we tried to get in touch with Steven Spielberg. We were talking to these people. He was shooting West Side Story. But what happened was we shot everything and we didn't get like we didn't get the little girls um, from Paranormal Activity 3. There were a few people that we didn't get. We didn't get Grandma Lois, like a few people that we were trying to get. and It wasn't really working out. But I was always like, we have I think we have what we need to be great to get them. But we have what we need to tell the story. And then. We stopped, and then at that point, and we got Ashley Brooks because Ashley Brooks still works for Paramount. She's the other Paramount executive. I loved her. By she's the way. The, she's yeah. awesome. She's yeah. so great, and she started talking with us about stuff. But then she—that was when around the time, like when they had already said like a new Paranormal Activity film was going to come out, like midway through us doing these interviews. So no one would say like what it would be or what the idea is. They said we're not hundred percent sure, but it will be coming out soon. So Ashley was talking with us about a bunch of stuff, and then the pandemic hit. And so we kind of got into this position where it was like Paramount now wants to work with us and wants to buy our documentary because they want to release it to sort of promote next of kin. Um, 
but we just hit a pandemic. So the whole year during the pandemic, it was like, should we, like, we kind of started editing, but we were like, are we waiting? Like, we're not sure how involved Paramount's going to be. Like, are they going to tell us you have to do it this way? Are they going to let us tell our story? And then we, we made the deal with Paramount and then we like went high into post-production. And while we were in post-production, we were still reaching out to Steven's team. And then eventually Catherine Newton was one of the people that we didn't get. So we finally did get Catherine Newton and we sat down with her and this was during COVID. So we had masks and all that other kind of stuff. And I think that probably like the unsafe being around people was probably why we didn't get Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once we got Catherine, once we started moving on, we were able to kind of put the interviews together and still tell the story in a fun way. Um, so we, we, you know, we showed Paramount, they were happy with it. The good thing, and by the way, I know I'm talking forever, but the thing that I do want to make sure for anyone who is listening to this, I've read reviews. Most of the reviews on this documentary are really good, but I've heard some people be like, well, this is clearly a puff piece for seven. Like it is not a puff piece for it's seven. So not. It's we so did we, you didn't we never know. ever envisioned my plan was never to even talk about seven. My whole plan was to end the movie with where found footage can go and end with Jason Blum saying, you know, I don't think we're ever gonna see a movie like this. It was just just brilliant and end with that and kind of like end to like the next opportunity to make the next great found footage movie is up to you as like a filmmaker. And that was the plan. But then when we, when Paramount came on, they said they wanted stuff from seven. So we were like, can we go and be on set? Like, can we go to Buffalo and can we be on set so I can interview them? And first it was yes, then no, because of COVID. Then it was like, can you give us some questions? And then it was like, your questions have to be extremely vague. We're not going to give anything about the movie there. So we, we put everything together. We sent them questions. I gave them a guide of how to shoot it, what to do. Some of the things were done. Some of the things weren't done. And then we got like maybe 10 minutes of footage to kind of cut together and put at the end of the movie. But it was never, and that was their only request is like put a piece together that just kind of guided towards seven. But my personal thoughts were they released the movie the same day they released Next of Kin. And to me, it was like, why did we put seven in there if it's coming out at the exact same time? Like we should have come out like a couple of weeks before so we can get everyone to be like, I want to go watch this on Paramount Plus. But at the end of the day, it was great. I'm grateful. But, no, uh, I, I actually yeah. watching it didn't get the feeling it was a puff piece at all. I got the feeling that that part about seven was tacked on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I got yeah. the feeling that you were making a documentary about the series as it was. And I'm not just saying that because no. we just repeated that because it does feel like it was like, okay, but now we need something related to the new movie, but we couldn't. Did you ever feel pressure to, because of the release, maybe hold off some so that you could cover the new movie? Or were you like, no, we are too far in it. I don't want to hold off. Let's just go. I think Anthony and Rachel probably wanted to hold off some for that, but I, I never really did because I st- I still think the story on itself, the rags to riches story, and what and becoming like almost a billion dollar franchise in box office, like to me that's incredible. And oh, to yeah. me, I never made that. Like I want, I I knew fans were going to love this because it was things that had never been spoken about before. My goal was to make it so that people who never seen the movies would stumble upon it and be like, now I actually want to go watch those movies. So I was trying to like appeal to like a broader audience. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it was it was just one of those things where it, it kind of everything kind of came together. Everything worked out. We got a lot of things that I never thought we were going to get. And it kind of just became this, you know a good story for, you know, five people putting this thing together. It really is. And I just want to reiterate and, and that, not only fans of paranormal activity, but just fans of horror that maybe you haven't seen all of the paranormal activities. Maybe you just saw the first one. This documentary, it's so interesting. Like I remember afterwards, because you know, documentaries, 
are, are different than films. You have to really be invested. But in this one, it was just so interesting. I yeah. remember we were talking about it afterwards that like we were fascinated and entertained the whole time. So really, yeah. we just want to compliment you. And we're Thank not you. just saying that because you're our Thank guest. You. We really were because I I'm not as big I, I've a... seen all of the paranormal activities opening night. And like, I felt like I totally got a good education on, I mean, like, especially the in-between part, like saying how much it made. And, and I love I, I was going to say, I'm not as big a fan of the behind, like, I'm not the type of horror fan that jumps right to the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. I don't know why, even for like my favorite franchise of all time, the Halloween franchise, I haven't even watched a lot of the behind the scenes stuff for some reason, but this really kept us like interested and it was just crafted really well. So seriously, Thank you. congratulations. And, and I really appreciate that, guys, because I listen, coming from a narrative background, my whole thing was I did not want this to be just like a bonus features thing. Yeah. Like I wanted it to have some form of narrative, some form of like creative drive to it. So that was always what I was trying to do. And I, I, I appreciate you guys saying that because that was like my biggest goal is to make sure that it, it, it has some form of creativity. Yeah. And I think just for some uh, additional questions, I think we can kind of jump around and stuff yeah. because rather than ask you to reiterate stuff, which people can Well, see, I can actually tell you something that uh, that I'm sure you you asked me earlier if I could say things that I've never said before. Please. So oh. we, we had my favorite interview by far was with Henry Juice and, and uh, Ariel Schumann. Henry and Rell were the coolest the fucking guys. Directors like, of three and, three. And three and four. Oh, yeah. yeah. So my big question I was going to ask you before you go on is, is Catfish real? No. I mean, okay. yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, it is. Real. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do no, that. No, 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 no. Sorry. No, I, I asked them that behind the scenes. I asked all that stuff. Like literally it is real. Like they shot that movie. Are you not, are you just giving us the answer no, no, no. they want you to give us? <laughs> no, I promise you. Like I have no ties to anyone. Like I, they, these guys are the most genuine people I've ever met in my life. Like they literally almost lost making a studio film because they stuck to their guns. Like they, these guys are the most genuine, the most fun. I didn't, I didn't have, I had like an hour with them. So I didn't get to go down a path. Like there were a couple things and this is kind of what I was gonna say. There were a couple things I didn't get to ask people, but then there were a lot of things that I did get to ask people. Like one of the things was the, um, the, the guy, the dad in four passed away right before, like two or three weeks before the movie came out. I wanted to talk about that, but I only was able to talk to like two or three people about it. So it was kind of one of those things where it's like, do we talk about this or do we not talk about this? And I felt like if we did talk about it, some of the key people that we had, I wasn't able to ask that in that question. And I didn't want it to come across like they didn't care about this guy. Right, like we're so, not commenting on that. Yeah, exactly. So I, I didn't do that. But there are a lot of like, I asked a lot of really difficult questions. Like I asked Chris Landon, like, why did they choose a white guy from Beverly Hills to direct a movie about a bunch of Hispanic people? Like uh, I was asking really like, like, and, and we, he answered it very truthfully and like we had it in the original cut and then we wound up cutting it out. But what there was his answer? What was his answer? Because he didn't he, understand. He didn't understand. Like he didn't get why he was doing that, but Adam and Ashley trusted him so much because he was kind of the one guiding the narrative. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, for that, I get it because he had been writing and working on so many of the films. So it was almost yeah. like when you see these series and it's like, okay, it's your turn to direct almost like. Yeah, well, and, and side note, Chris Landon's really good looking. Yeah, side, <laughs> side note, Tim wants to date you're look, you're looking dude. married with children. Yeah, yeah. good looking dude. I, I'm um, just going to say, side note, Tim's hoping Chris Land is listening and going to leave his husband. He loves Happy Horror Time Podcast. He really does. He is our <laughs> biggest listener. Sorry, go on. So, okay, it, which, um, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked that kind of question. <laughs> um, f five of the marked ones and Next of Kin are the only two movies out, Only in, including one, they're the only two movies that were shot with like a beginning, a middle, and end, and a plan. All the other films 
were shot. And, and the thing that blows me away to this day is like six months to make a movie. Like most found footage movies are shot in like seven days, eight days, 10 days, 14 days. Found an orange film was shot in seven and then it wound up being like maybe four or five extra days for all the reshoots of what they did. But all of these movies were shot in six months. Like to compare that to other movies, that's how long it takes for them to shoot a Lord of the Rings movie. Like I can't imagine the amount of stress that the people are under on a daily basis. And you know, like even me, like I hope they hire me to make Paranormal Activity 8 or Paranormal Activity 9, but I can't imagine as a filmmaker, which is why I saw like some frustration from Henry and Ralph, especially. Could, yeah, like, you could tell the guy from the director in part two, is that right? Yeah, he, yeah, um, yeah. He, he was all Kip, uh, Todd Williams. He was all, like, you could see it like when you talk to these people. He was but still we, recovering. We were, we were talking about that. We were like, this is the only guy who doesn't seem very like, happy. Not to as be enthusiastic. Here. Yeah, he, I believe he got in a motorcycle accident. Oh he, we talked about this, but again, it didn't work in the narrative. He got in a motorcycle accident and they were in a post uh, production, they were in an editing session. And he didn't show up and no one knew where he was. And he showed up like two hours later, like in a cast. And like, <laughs> yeah, like, oh my God. like there's so many fun uh, it, was, it was paranormal yeah. related. Well, I have a question um, uh, since we're just all over the map now. Okay, so Katie mentioned at the beginning, she said that after people saw Paranormal Activity, they'd go over and see her at Puco de Beppo. Because she worked there. At the she time. worked there. Okay, but yep. then she said it's a whole thing, but she didn't go into like, what's the whole thing? Like, Pico de Peppo wouldn't let her out or what's going no, on? No, no, no. It's the whole thing because she couldn't leave working there. Is right? that Correct. Right. So, so when the movie came out, I mean, realistically, and, the, and the, again, the reason why I, tell, I told the story the way I told it is because when you look at any other film franchise, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, there's always someone that blew up like Johnny Depp or um, Kevin Bacon. In the found footage world and in paranormal activity, the people who became the most successful and the most known were the filmmakers. Like Orrin became known, Blumhouse became a thing. Henry and Rell went on to do studio films. Chris Landon actually is now a very you know, sought after director. That's who the franchise like kind of highlighted. And it was just, to me, I think when, when you're talking about the filmmaking side of things and how it blew up those careers, it's it's easy to forget that like the actors had a lot of things happen to them and i know this happened to it didn't happen with the paranormal activity cast but it definitely happened with the blair witch cast which is they were hidden they were taken away and like to this day like they never made close to the amount of money that the filmmakers made for the blair witch project or the you know the second or third movie and i know you know katie orn and nika are such a tight-knit group and i think what katie was speaking to is like they got paid like 500 dollars to make that movie and really, like, when all those things happened, like, they were very involved. They did the reshoots. They were constantly with Orrin back and forth. But they were working. They were doing other things. And I think when the movie came out, like, for them, it was kind of a whirlwind. And, like, they never expected, no one expected it to become what it was. It was like was. winning the lottery, honestly. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's I think, what Katie was, was speaking to was, like, she, like, wasn't, you know, she wasn't getting other gigs. She, a lot of other things. So she was working her regular day job. And like when the movie came out and people started being like, you're the person, that's when she was like, maybe I should quit this job. Like maybe things are going to change. And that's kind of when like it changed. And Puka de Beppo's like, no, now people are coming. Yeah, I was like, I was thinking there was some kind of lost our best server. Well, I I do have to ask about Katie specifically because you know how every horror franchise kind of has the face of the franchise. Like like Halloween, it's Jamie Lee Curtis. You know, it's like a consistent um, um, character or whether it's the villain, you know, in the series feel like if there is one consistent face throughout the series it's Katie and I was going to ask you did you get the sense that she embraced that like that she loves being kind of the face of paranormal activity or did you did you get the sense that maybe she felt like it kind of typecast her or kept her from other roles 
listen, I think in general, any person that's in a position like that will probably feel a little bit typecasting, but like Katie's one of the sweetest people that I've ever met in my entire life. Like this is my shameless plug. Uh, after doing the whole thing, like Katie and I are actually really close friends now. And I, Katie is such a good person. And she's one of those people that recognizes like, this was an amazing opportunity. And like, there are uh, millions of people that never had this chance. So I think I think, you know, she was young when she did it, like very young. She was like 23 or 24 or something. Um, this film has spanned seven movies a decade. So this is a big part of her life. And I think she's very grateful for that and very understanding that like this movie really gave her the chance to live out her dreams and do her dreams. So so what we usually end interviews with, we always ask um, everyone, like, if you can tell us one thing about working on whatever movie they were in that you've never told anybody else, like any other interview or podcast or whatever, but you've already, I feel like, told us a lot of those things. So I would rather ask you and whatever you wanted to say now, if there's any other projects you're working on right now or currently in the works or anything. Sure. So I am... I'm in the process of writing a supernatural film right now that I'm hoping that I could direct in the next year or so. Um, I have uh, someone who's going to fund it, but got to get some of the details out. Uh, we just wrapped production in September on Stephen Cognetti, the guy who I work with on Hell House. He just directed his first narrative feature. It's called 825 Forest Road. So we just finished production on that at the end, of, beginning of October. And we're hoping, I believe that movie is probably going to come out next October on Halloween time. So a, um, scary, a horror a movie, I assume. Horror movie. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's the main character. It stars the woman who's the main character in the third Hell House movie, Elizabeth okay. Amelia, the one who's interviewing everyone. Yes, uh, yes. Is it a, is it supernatural? Act. Is it what? what yeah, what, yeah. What it's a, Steve's world is supernatural. I think everything Steve will ever direct will be a supernatural movie. Um, but it's a supernatural movie. It's a, it's a kind of a ghost story about a, a brother and sister who move back to their mom's hometown. That's kind of getting haunted by this, uh, this ghost. Um, or this woman, Helen Foster. So and I don't want to tell you much the more. Clown, is the clown making an appearance? No, no. Everyone on set, everyone on set was like, "Can we tie this to the Hell House lore in some way?" <laughs> like, okay, so like the clown. Wouldn't make sense. This, this <laughs> and then the other thing is like, we keep telling people like, I, we got to get the Abaddon tapes going. Like the stories and Steve. So Steve is more of a supernatural guy. I'm more of a slasher guy. The way we've crafted these stories with the Abaddon tapes is there's elements of supernatural and there's elements of slasher. And the way we co-created it together is all the supernatural stuff Steve is going to write and direct, all the slasher stuff I'm going to write and direct. So I hope we get the opportunity to tell that because I think fans, similar to the Paranormal Activity doc, I think fans will be like, this is so cool to understand why Andrew Tully created this cult or why this house got put, how Alex got pulled into this in the first place. I think people would really want to see those answers. Uh, I mean, yeah. speaking for I fans of the series, we would love to see those. And it's funny because we are both Tim and I are very, very slasher oriented people. I mean, yeah. obviously, we love Supernatural, but the, I, just our favorite series are slasher. You grew up in the 80s and early 90s. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Sure. And so we love the slasher series. So working slasher, you know, it just I love Supernatural, obviously. But for to me, it's always scared me more of just someone with a mask coming after me because yeah. there's nothing I can do about it. And, and yeah. you could, you, you could what, run. What, 
what, well, what I mean is that you can't say <laughs> you I don't up believe. the stairs trip. Well, you, you can't ball. say I don't believe in people with masks with knives because I uh, just watch the news. But um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we, we would love to see that. That's great. Wow. It sounds like you have a lot going on. And that's really, really cool and like really exciting. Thank you. It is. Okay. I just want to say it has been so nice yes, speaking with you. Awesome. Like you can just hear Thank the you, amount guys. of passion you have for this genre and being people who are very passionate about it. Also, you it feels like family. You feel like our next of kin. <laughs> I, look at that segue into your next show. Yeah, um, no, but really, like seriously. Yeah, this, this is so cool. I want to be friends with you guys. I love doing this. This is like, I, I'm going to keep listening to your podcast and hearing what you guys come up with. I want to follow your guys' careers. Like this Thank is, you. Th this has been so great. And like, I think like you guys being big fans of Hell House, like we, Steve, myself, any other people that were, we appreciate people like you. And we appreciate people that actually talk about this kind of stuff because we love making movies. We love doing things for the fans. We're always talking about what would make people happy? How would this work? What, what are our fans going to think? And we would have, we wouldn't have careers if it wasn't for people who watch the movies and people like you guys who talked about it. So I want to say thank you to you guys for, for just you. being awesome and, and having fun with it. Thanks. That is really awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's what we do. I mean, we really started this podcast because we love watching horror movies and we were talking about them anyway. So we're like, why don't we record them? And then it was kind of like, yeah. hey, all these people we grew up loving, what if we got to talk to them about the movies? And it just kind of started. And so we've been doing it and it's been great. But yeah, like we, again, like I said, you can tell when someone really truly loves this genre and you can tell how much passion you have. So I wish you nothing but the best in your career. Yeah. Thank Seriously. you. Thank you so much. We definitely have to keep in touch because I mean, we, we could talk for hours. I'm sorry. We even had to cut. We just like, we could talk to you for hours. So this has been really yeah. great. Well, you, uh, the fans don't have this, but you guys have my email address and you have my phone number. So give me a ring. You're like, and me. for fans, that phone number is. Fans, it is. <laughs> Come, if you have any paranormal activity questions. If you have any question about paranoia, his line is always open. Can you imagine? <laughs> between the hours of one and three, yeah, preferably. Only between one and 6 a.m. No, okay. Oh, guys, I'll tell you this after we cut, so, but okay. good, oh, good okay. talking well, Yes, well, th um, um, thank you so much. Yes. I'm gonna, um, and so, yeah, it's been great talking to you, okay? Yeah, thanks, guys. We appreciate okay, it. Okay, take care. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Right, okay, bye. bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Happy Horror Time. This podcast is hosted by Matt Emmer and myself, Tim Murdoch. It's co-produced and edited by Jacob Randall. We release episodes every Sunday, switching off between reviewing recently released horror films and interviewing horror stars and insiders. And we have a ton of fun along the way. You can stream all our episodes directly from our website, happyhorrortime.com, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And make sure to follow all our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Happy Horror Time. If you'd like to support this podcast, please sign up to be a patron at patreon.com slash happy horror time. Patrons get access to our growing library of bonus episodes where we discuss older horror films, look back at popular franchises, and all kinds of fun horror stuff. And if you'd like to contact us, send us an email at happyhorrortime at gmail.com. We love hearing from our listeners. I'm Matt Emmert. And I'm Tim Murdoch. And we, we hope, hope you have, have a happy horror time. time.